0: My mom you know sat me down and she was like i think if you were not making an impact you wouldn't have this much of an audience there were almost a million no there were over a million views of that video um, at a certain point so if most comedians most satirists pray for a viral moment and some never get it the fact that you got this viral moment means you're onto something the fact that you're pissing people off the fact that you're making people uncomfortable enough to say what they're saying to you as harsh as it is means you're onto
1: something and you're on the right path Welcome back to The Tea with Nikki. We are pro-tea, not anti-coffee. Today I sit down with Lisek hotlavi who is also known for her media persona, Coconut Culls. Coconut Culls was created to address the social issues within South Africa, done in a satirical matter so that we can have a laugh about it, but then also have a moment to think and reflect afterwards. You've completed a BA honours in theatre with the majors in musical theatre and playwriting. And then in 2014, you went over to London to the University of Brunel or Brunel University my apologies and then you also were at the New York Film Academy and did a diploma there so can you just explain to us why you chose to go to London and New York after being in Johannesburg um okay so I
0: graduated in 2014 I didn't go in 2014 I went in oh, 2011. <laughs> No problem. Um, so I was kind of doing a BCom at WITS and I mean I, I spent about six months doing it and then I told my parents like it's just not working. <laughs> I am not the kind of person who needs to be doing commerce. Please can you just give me a chance to do what I need to do and I promise you like you know I'll finish my degree. And so there was kind of like a little compromise where they were like okay we're still not ready for drama. Maybe you can try sort of a BA in English or something. Meet us halfway. Um, So I went to UCT uh, for about two years but just before my final year my mom was like okay because I think I was going through a lot of depression and I was just like really sad and I was not coping with the course because I did not want to do it and I didn't want to be there so my mom kind of saw that in me and she was like okay what do you want to do you know let's just find what you want to do then because I can see how unhappy you are and it's actually like You know, it's making me unhappy as well. If drama is what you want to do, then let's go to the best place in the world. Because, you know, if you're going to do it, I need you to go be the best at it, um, especially because it's something I'm nervous about. So she was quite nervous. My parents are both doctors and my mom now works in um, business, you know. So they just had never met and no one in our family does arts. I'm literally the first one and right now even the only one who does something so creative. So I got into two schools there um, that I auditioned for and, and we chose London. I just like the way the London style of acting is. I like the London style of comedy. I feel like it's very witty and sarcastic and that's kind of like, who i am so yeah so then we went over to to audition got in and then i kind of was there and the new york thing happened in my uh summer break in 2013 because you know summer holidays are as long as our december holidays but it's like in june may june july but i didn't really want to come back to like winter and it was my final year and i also just wanted to kind of like subsidize my degree coming back with just an acting qualification has seemed quite light to me. So I was like, how do I make this, you know, more juicy so that when I go back home, if I go back home, I have, you know, all the qualifications I need. So I went to New York Film Academy in Columbia to do TV writing and musical theater, just to like make sure that I studied everything I could and got all the degrees and courses I could. So yeah, that was pretty much the reason why, it's just cause I thought, let's go to the best places in the world. But also it was a chance for me to like honor my inner Sagittarius because I love traveling. I love being outside of Esse um, and Joburg and I grew up here my whole life so I just felt very stifled and, and swallowed here. So I just decided to go also because I was like, let's just go see something else.
1: <laughs> I loved it when you said that you're inner Sagittarius because I'm a Sagittarius as well. So I know wow. the travel bug that like, need to move and explore. Trust me, I know it all too well. And which was your favorite between New York and London? Or is it like trying to choose your favorite child type of thing?
0: No, no, I definitely have a favorite. (laughs) Um, It's New York by far. I really, really wish I had chosen to go study in New York instead. I mean, I liked London. I liked what it gave to me. I love the friends that I have. I've literally made like sisters for life. Yeah, I like how, what what I learned, because I think if I hadn't gone to London, I wouldn't have done Kells. I think it really pushed me to, to do my own thing and to be independent because as much as class was there and it was really fun and stuff, everybody was kind of pushing independent projects and YouTube was starting to be a thing when I was there and a friend of mine you know um, who was there just like a really big international star now and he was pushing YouTube stuff so I just kept seeing people push and grind and I think I'm really grateful to have been there for that. Also in London you can do different things all the time you can travel to Europe because that was before Brexit so you know going around (laughs) for the weekend it was like a hop skip and a jump away but and I just like New York's energy it's just such a it's such a unique place. It is so beautiful. I felt like if I had a past life or if I was in a different, you know, family or whatever, I definitely would have been in New York. I think it's very similar to Joburg, fast pacedness, you know, people always say New Yorkers and Joburgers are rude, but I actually don't have the experience. I feel like people are just doing what they need to do and they don't really have time to waste on small talk. You know, everybody is super curious about the world. New Yorkers are probably the most open-minded Americans because, you know, as you go further inland, people have never left. People have never met anyone who's foreign, but New York is is basically like the hub where everyone goes. Just loved, I love New York.
1: And you said that you've always felt that you wanted to be an actor, that it was your passion, but also coming with acting, there's a lot of things behind the scene. I mean, we see all your great moments, but there's also a lot of no's behind the scene. for those few great yeses we see there's a lot of no's so how do you push through it because it can be very defeating i'm sure to get a no 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 and then you finally get your yes but how do you prepare for
0: that um i don't even know if you can prepare for that because i think also when people look at people who become successful on on the web and stuff like that they think it's an overnight sensation i've been to so many interviews where people have said overnight internet sensation i'm like i'm not overnight at all this was like sort of seven years in the making three years with actually doing videos and a hell of a lot of no's you know when i came back from london one of the first meetings i went to was with the producer because i wanted to to just get advice on how to break into the industry do I need an agent do I just go for auditions how does it work and before he even gave you know got to the advice part of it he was like you just don't have the look of an actress in South Africa you're overweight it's not really gonna work you are gonna be competing with like you know your pill two season your your noms so you can't really come into the game if you look like this you're either gonna have to lose weight or you're gonna have to gain a lot of weight and become almost comically large so you can be in those roles and i was like what the hell first of all is comically large that's it was very
1: um (laughs) it was very very interesting phrase comically large
0: yeah and it's a it's a tv phrase they always say that all the time and i'm just like that is uh, i just don't i think it's for me it's super insulting because obviously there's a certain point at which largeness becomes funny and for me that's not really a thing but also um i just think it was very difficult for me because i was 25 i was wide-eyed i was ready to work and having heard those things from a producer and a very successful one, you know, who's still guiding people's careers now. And I just keep thinking, gosh, I hope other young people aren't going to meetings with him and hoping to like break it in if they don't look the perfect way that he wants people to look. But yeah, so it was very interesting for me to just get the first no when I came back. It was already before he even saw my talent, before I could even show him what I had, it was like, you're just not good enough with your looks. And he told me, you know, why don't you just go work in production and writing instead of focusing in front of the scenes um, because of this fact that I'm not, you know, ideal looking. Then to, to production company and I started working behind the scenes. And then it lasted, you know, for about like four years ish. But I I just was super unhappy because I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. And so I just kept pushing Kels, and I told my mom at some point like, please let me stop working. I'm pushing this thing too much. Production is literally a 24 hour job. I was going to gigs and stuff shooting until like 3 a.m., waking up at 8 a.m. to go do it again. So there was never really a time that I got to push my own stuff. So I just said to her like, please can you just give me one year to just push kills? I promise you I'm onto something. If it doesn't work, I'll leave it uh, and go back to work. And luckily it did, but even with auditions and stuff, even after Kel's success, but mostly before that, I still hear no's, I've been hearing no, and there's nothing you can actually do to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. I think it's more a matter of surrounding yourself with affirming people, surrounding yourself with like, reading things that make you feel good about yourself, affirming yourself every morning. I, I say three affirmations in the morning. Every time I wake up, I say three things I'm grateful for about myself. And I think that just makes me more and more comfortable with understanding that the no is not about me, it's just about what they're looking for. Because I think if you've got a thin skin, this is definitely not the industry for you. Cause they'll even tell you things like, I mean, I went to an audition like a few months ago before lockdown and before um, this year actually. And he said, oh, you know, you're almost perfect for it, but we just don't like your look. Like you've got the perfect role and whatever, and you're really funny. and But we just don't, we didn't envision this character being big and I was like oh okay but that's the kind of shit that people say when, when you have an audition they'll be like no your nose is too pointy and large And so you really have to love yourself mm-hmm. and be comfortable with yourself and know that they're going to pick you apart every single time you get a job or every time you go for a job and get nose just because of what you look like so you really have to surround yourself with people who are affirming there's nothing really you can do to prepare even afterwards sometimes I'll have a little cry or I'll be a bit upset but you have to pick yourself up and, and know that you're not the story this is not who defines who you are it's just a job
1: so was it your first note that drove you to push to do coconut curls, or how did you uh, envision coconut curls?
0: um no it wasn't it wasn't auditioning that made me go to coconut Kells because i only started auditioning kind of properly afterwards it was actually hating my job but also actually for me with coconut Kells specifically it was more trying to address racial tensions in the country and and trying to get people involved in the conversations because i went to school obviously with a lot of white people very few black people but i just felt like my friends, my friends from high school weren't really taking part in the conversations that were happening. You know, the Pretoria Girls High Hair thing happened and no one said anything from school. And I just thought, why aren't people getting involved in the conversations? This same thing happened when we were at school and they know it. So is it that they don't care? Is it that they don't know about these things? Are these, Is this information only passed around black people? so it was more just getting to be like first of all let me share this info with you maybe then you'll get involved and if i make it funny as well and not an attack it'll make people want to listen more so coconut cows wasn't actually something i was trying to break into the industry with i didn't think it was going to work that way anyway because i knew it was quite controversial but yeah i just kind of did not like my job and once cows started happening then that's when i knew that it could be you know, a potential thing that I could use. Yeah, that was long before sort of auditions and stuff like that because I just didn't think people would buy into Kells as a marketable product. I just thought it was me venting and making people laugh but more using it as a tool to be able to address topics around race.
1: What inspired you to write a book kind of under the pseudonym of Coconut Kells? Coconut Kells's guide to the shithole, to surviving the (laughs) shithole. I actually wasn't I mean, I actually got
0: approached, so I've been very lucky, like I said, with Coconut Kells's career, things have sort of been happening to me. Jonathan Ball Publishers, and they usually do a lot of heavy political mm-hmm. books, you know, they published *Crazy*, they published, I think, the book on Glenn and Liotty. So there are a lot of deep political issues that they, they publish, and they wanted to try something that was in politics, which was in their genre but more light and more funny and something that was more tongue in cheek. So yeah, they approached me and then we kind of sat down and thought of how to write the chapters. For me, I look at everything kind of in a racial lens and I don't know whether that's a good or bad thing, but everything is separated between white and black for me. Where we go out, what we do for fun, you know, which schools, which suburbs we live in, what we eat, holiday homes, everything is literally different sort of between white and black people after high school. And I think because I was friends with so many white people in school, it was more glaring to me after school, the the differences and the the separation. So I just wanted to explore that, like why do people split up so much after high school, but also why are things so separate with the races? Even if you go to school in one place, eventually you start seeing those things happen. So it was kind of like a, a case study like that for me to just say, actually everything we do is pretty different. If you go to St. Francis, black people are going to Zimbabwe. You know, you guys play polo and we're playing soccer, you know, it's like everything. So yeah, it was more an interesting thing for me because I was like, actually, I'm very interested in how we become so different after high school, whether or not you grew up with white people, with black people, inevitably and eventually you separate. Sometimes you'll keep one or two friends, but for the most part, I see people drift apart. And Mm -hmm. it was just kind of exploring that thing of, yeah, there was once this na- rainbow nation ideal. We were the first kids to go to schools with each other, but still at some point it separates. And what is that reason? Why do we do yeah. that?
1: Do you think it could be sort of a cultural thing? It's also uh, the whole notion of a rainbow nation and we have 11 official languages, which still doesn't include all the languages that are spoken in South Africa as well. Do you think it could be a cultural thing? I mean, I think even amongst between um, like Xhosa and Zulu, those cultures, they also holiday in different destinations and kind of like different things or is it a cultural thing or is it more specifically a race thing, do
0: you think? I think it's definitely a race thing because even in my group of friends, we don't have the same language, we don't have the same culture, but culturally, as black people, we have the same interests. Um, I just think, you know, even when you look at places that people go out to, there are a few places in Joburg that are multiracial and mixed, and, you know, people are going out, there's lots of blacks, lots of whites, but there are also a lot of places that are like, even if it's in the same area, I've, I've even heard, heard clubs say, oh, Thursday is white night, and Friday is, you know, urban night, Saturday is Indian night. So it's actually just <laughs> really separated racially. I don't know why necessarily, but I think for a lot of my friends who who maybe maintained a lot of white friendships, or friends with white people after high school, I think they, they had a lot of, You know sometimes you have to assimilate in order to make them comfortable but then not a lot of times will a white person come with us to our places so i think it's something like that where it just seems like one person has to assimilate rather than it being an equal balance of things but yeah i just think you know obviously we're raised by our parents and even if you go to schools that are multicultural and stuff like that you get influences from your parents whether it's the music you listen to the food you eat where you go and eventually those things become who you are as an adult and i think it's harder and harder the older you get to kind of put yourself aside because Mm -hmm. i think black people in those schools we kind of leave ourselves at home a little bit when we go there and we become, you know, Lee or instead of Lesukha. And then when you get to older and older, you you kind of start being like, I'm actually not going to leave myself at home. And that's when it becomes, I think, more obvious how different we are. I don't really know what the cure is or whatever. I just think most people have to try really hard to maintain those friendships, to also like do the work to unlearn certain behaviors and learn thoughts and patterns, because, you know, obviously racism, is learned and it's passed down. As long as people are willing to have open conversations and listen to their friends, you know, you might not have had this experience at the same school that we went to, but if I say I have this experience, just listen to me, you know, learn instead of defending. I think as long as people in South Africa are willing to listen more and try, uh, then probably you'll see friendships maintaining long after
1: school. I think I definitely agree with you that you have to maintain an open mind. And also I think it's that openness to want to learn about other cultures as well. So, I have a, a good friend from high school, uh, also one of the only black girls who was at my school. And we've still maintained a very good friendship. And I think the reason why is because we're both so open to learning each other's cultures. So I say to her, please teach me also words because I don't know. And I said, and I feel bad that I don't. I live in South Africa and I don't know the language so we talk a lot about cultural differences and we are on different planes and we go we hang out differently but we call each other our diaries you know we talk to each other every day we but the thing is we always have open discussions about race and culture and the differences and i think i don't know if that's the cure but i think that's definitely something that people within south africa need to visit we need to open our minds and our hearts to one another, I think, as well. Learn why, why are we different, what makes us different, but not in a bad way, where we disassociate with one another, where you have a white night on Thursday, um, yeah. night on Friday, but kind of integrated. Be like, why, why are we different, but what is the beauty in the difference? And then learning about that and learning the cultures. And do you think that maybe that could be started within schools about having like culture days or something, and then you can learn about Mosa or Zulu and you learn about those kind of things it could open you up maybe a
0: I mean, we had that at our school, but I think the most important thing isn't necessarily like you learning my language. Like, I don't really—it's not really important to me whether or not you learn my language specifically. It's more when I talk about my experiences, are you listening? Mm. Are you maybe looking at how you might be complicit? It's the same thing I say, like with you know, LGBT community. I have a lot of friends who are gay, who are trans, who are you know, different orientations, and it's not up to me to tell them when something is or isn't offensive. You know, a lot of people want to say, "Oh, you're being so sensitive," or this is overdone so it's not really so much uh, you know whether you're not you know what I do when I go to my family home or what we do on our weddings what our traditions are but it's just if I say there's an experience that I'm having that it might be racial that might be this you listen without the defense you want to get involved with how do I make things As an ally, how do I talk to, you know, my family, maybe, and call them out? Because I think even with men, a lot of the times we'll say, call each other out, stop letting these, you know, misogynist jokes fly, stop letting harassment, rapey jokes fly, because that breeds, you know, the bigger behaviors. So for me, it's the same. If you want to be friends with Black people and you're white, or the other way around, whatever, you've got to call people out when they start saying things, at the brides, you know, the places that were not there. This little racist joke that flies and whatever it is, it doesn't get to fly anymore if you're my friend and you're there in those spaces, even if it's your mom saying it. You know, even now, and I've seen with racism in schools, I've seen a lot of people defend the school instead of listening to what we went through and saying, okay, I didn't see this. I maybe even, you know, it was implicit, a complicitness, so it makes me feel defensive but actually let me listen to what these girls went through. There can't be this many stories that people would just make up. I think for me it's more just getting involved in conversations, listening more and just reading more because there's so much out there on the net. There's so much on Netflix even, if you don't even like reading, there's so much to watch that will you know, let people just be more aware of what's going on in the world uh, in terms of Black Lives Matter. It's a huge time right now to just be getting involved. Ask your friends if there's anything they know. I mean, I know a lot of people also don't want to be giving you homework, but just Googling even things that can help me be a better ally for black people shows that you know kind of show discrimination or explain racism explain toxic masculinity explain queer uh, issues and stuff like that where you just want to be an ally you need to do the work you can't just be friends with someone you can't just not be racist because you have a black friend you have to actively do the work to be anti-racist to go out there and make sure that everybody who's in your space doesn't get to feel comfortable with racist thoughts racist words racist actions and that's the same with with whatever forms of bigotry that they are out there you can't just say i have gay friends therefore you know i'm I'm lgbtq plus um, ally i actually have to do the work, read stuff, share with my friends, make sure that people don't get to say things about about the community in front of me and, and make it uncomfortable for, for bigots to be bigotists in front of me. And that's for me when the work starts, not, yeah. Yeah, not necessarily, I mean, it's also nice if people want to learn languages, but I think for me, that's even secondary. It's just, are you willing to have the uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm when I am saying something, are you listening or are you deflecting and saying all lives matter or not all whites, or whatever it is like, are you actually listening? And that's I think the point where I'm like, yeah, I can see an ally. Because there are lots of girls I actually wasn't even friends with at school, who are now actually becoming friends with because they're reaching out and saying you know shit we didn't know that happened at school we didn't we went away because obviously it wasn't happening to us yeah. we're blissfully ignorant at school how can we help get your messages back to school get people to listen the principals to listen other girls to listen so that we can make sure we amplify your voices and I think as somebody in a privileged class whether it's able-bodied whether it's straight whether it's white whether it's male it's always best if people try and amplify minority voices
1: thank you so much for that that was very interesting to hear as well and i think yeah it starts with us wanting to learn more and i think as well also subjectively look at ourselves where have we been complicit what do we do be to make things better to make everyone feel comfortable in the space as well that we all we all share yeah, and it's very difficult when you
0: when you think you are you know an ally because i know that i've had to do some uh, my own unlearning in, in different spheres where i've thought i'm very very open i'm very you know progressive and whatever it is but there have been instances where i've had to do my own small unlearnings whether it's the language i use i had a conversation with a friend of mine his name is tj and he's just speaking about the fact that sometimes people think they're not homophobic for instance but if If you constantly address gay people where you're like, yes, queen, all the time, you need to also check your bias. Not everybody, enjoys that not everybody speaks yeah. like that um, so yeah there's small instances where it's easier to just be defensive and be like no i'm i'm friends with them and uh, so therefore i'm not offensive or therefore i'm not problematic but if somebody tells you small little things you need to listen and just be like okay let me not be defensive because you're obviously coming to me as a friend how do i then fix this so i can really be an ally and not just a performative ally
1: yeah what does feminine leadership mean to you or how would you define it? So for me, there's been, uh, I think the 90s was
0: a um, very big, and my mom always explains this to me, but the 90s was a big time where women were meant to wear boxy suits, wear as little color as possible, kind of blend and have short, blunt hairstyles, not really look feminine or womanly. <laughs> you know, for me, feminine leadership now is, very much a fact that I can be a leader and still love makeup and still want to have cocktails with the girls and love handbags and all those things. It doesn't take away from the fact that I'm also cerebral, smart, intelligent, intellectual, can hold conversations with world leaders. And I think that that balance of just being able to be who we are as our feminine selves, but also leaders and, and that it's together, it doesn't have to be separate. I don't have to hide who I am at work and wear black suits, um, you know, that don't fit. And then on the weekends, I'm, Ta-da, I'm a girl, I'm a this, some of that it can literally be one and the same. I'm very much a fan of the fact that workplaces are becoming more colorful, both in how people dress, but also in the personalities that are allowed to thrive. People don't have to be one kind of person at work. I'm very ill-equipped to talk about the corporate world, but in terms of feminine leadership in my career, I'm very much in charge of every single aspect of my career. I'm in charge of the content. I mean, if I do an ad, I'm usually part of the brainstorming. If I'm part of, you know, a TV show, I'm part of the writing and producing, and sometimes even the directing. So I'm very very hands-on and feminine leadership for me is just being able to be a boss make people laugh But also enjoy my my makeup and my cocktails and do the more girly things and not have to hide any parts of me That make me a woman but celebrate them all together And I think that's very much a part of what's happening in the world right now I think it's very interesting to watch. I mean, especially with the things that you guys are doing um, also with your page people are just being celebrated for being women and bosses and it doesn't have to be either or i
1: want to move to a segment that i like to call the abcs of your career hey what was your kind of amazing affluent aha moment wow I think the first time I ever got super negative comments
0: um, and I know this doesn't even sound right but because I had to learn to push through for the first time normally I've been getting positive feedback and and things like that because it was mainly only my friends who watched my videos so the first time I got super super bad 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 reviews and critique from strangers who didn't know that Kells was a a character I think was the first time I thought okay like it was my aha moment because I really Mm. almost quit I was like you know what actually I'm good let me just find a job again and go behind the scenes like no thanks so my mom you know sat me down and she was like i think if you were not making an impact you wouldn't have this much of an audience there were almost a million no there were over a million views of that video at a certain point so if most comedians most satirists pray for a viral moment and some never get it. The fact that you got this viral moment means you're onto something. The fact that you're pissing people off, the fact that you're making people uncomfortable enough to say what they're saying to you, as harsh as it is, means you're onto something and you're on the right path. So for me, that was the very first time that I thought, oh, okay, I'm in the exact space I need to be in. As uncomfortable as it can be sometimes, as hurtful as it can be sometimes, clearly I'm exactly where I need to be. Clearly I'm doing exactly the work that is needed in South Africa right now. So yeah, that was definitely, that was definitely the moment as, the ENCA video last year.
1: And B, what was your bad business blunder? I haven't really made one
0: yet. I've been really lucky to be guided by people. Because I'm not a money person, and I'm not an economics person, I'm not a corporate person, I've been very, very specific to get those types of people to advise me. And I mean, my mom also made her own decisions, bad decisions when she was much, much younger. So she's always drilled it into my sister and I to not have credit card, unless you can pay it off immediately, or even put in money before you pay, and only do in, like important purchases you know it isn't something that I've, I've made yet thank God and I hope not to actually no I don't even say yet I haven't I haven't done a bad business blunder move
1: and see what was a cinematic worthy cock-up moment? for you the (laughs) idea behind these questions I'll tell you why I asked them is because I think we don't talk enough about mistakes and failures and we always just see the overnight viral sensation we don't see the behind the scenes that you know what I did have a mistake and it's fine I planned it turned into a blessing i want to know for me
0: failure yeah i I mean i I definitely speak about my failures all the time like first of all having dropped out of school even though it resulted in you know good decisions and things like that it was probably failing forward because it just isn't something that i I feel sometimes i shouldn't have done that a really big one for me was quitting my job before i had something significant going on i think that would be my cock up or whatever um (laughs) i've never used that term Um, because of the fact that I was, I mean, when I quit my job, between that and Kel's making money was about two years. At some point, I actually started going for job interviews again, just trying to say, okay, let me do something even if it's in a part-time level because I'm actually gonna be super broke if I don't get something. And then I was, I spent two years job hunting and failing. So I think for me, having left my job a bit prematurely, I think would have been definitely the cock up, but also probably dropping out of school earlier than that. Since then, I've obviously learned a lot about the fact that for me, failure isn't really failure because most of my failed decisions have led to where I am today. And if I hadn't stopped working, I wouldn't have been as desperate to make something work with Kells. If I hadn't dropped out of school, I would never have gone you know, to study theater. So I'm actually really passionate about failure in a positive way, because I think as much as we look at it as this desire, It really isn't it always leads you to the right door doesn't matter how I'm gonna get there I'm gonna get there. So yeah, I don't love the term cock up just because I'm like it is it isn't it isn't a mistake It isn't a failure It isn't a bad thing to sometimes do something that isn't in the right path or doesn't feel like it's in the right way If something's meant for you, it's gonna happen if your door is to open whether you go this way or you go straight it will happen. So, I would rather try and fail than not try at all. Yeah, I'm pretty
1: proud of everything I've done so far just because I think even the failures have led me to where I am. I think you have every right to be proud of everything you've managed to accomplish. I know I have friends who adore your videos, and then when I said that, that I'm talking with you, they're like, oh my God, no way. you so cool, what? So, I mean, well, yeah, you, you, I'm sure you must be so proud, of, and especially of the failures. Those are what led you to where you are today, and you're pursuing your passion, which is where a lot of people would love to be, so hats off to you.
0: Even now, with the other question you asked, when doors close for me, when people say no at auditions, I'm not upset anymore. I used to take it so personally, but I'm like, there's a reason why that's a no. Something else is coming along soon. You know, this is not meant for me. So I'm very, mm-hmm. I think that's what would answer your, your earlier question of how do you cope with it i think i'm very much a sort of spiritual person where i understand what was meant for me won't miss me if yeah. that was a no it's because something else is coming it's because it's making space for something and all the no's if i would gotten yeses way earlier I again wouldn't be where i am now because i wouldn't have pushed as hard i wouldn't have continued trying Kell's things if i'd gotten the jobs that i went to go um interview for during My unemployment phase and gotten the jobs I probably still would be working somewhere behind the scenes or in advertising, which is where I was going, um, towards you know, after I left TV. I think it's so lucky that I've gotten so many no's actually. For me, the no's have been career defining moments because they've made the yeses so much greater, but also made me push so much harder in a different or even turn in a different direction slightly and be like, okay, that's maybe not the way it's supposed to work or the way I'm doing things, or not maybe right. Let me just pivot and adjust and see how I can change this up a little bit. And so, it's really really defined who I am. So I'm really grateful to all the people who said no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want to move to the challenge section. I thought that since you are an actor, that maybe we can have a round of charades and try and have a gander at that. <laughs> Very cool. Let me do comedies, I think. Cool. Okay, okay. Five words. First word. Four. Second word. Bride, wedding, four weddings and a funeral. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, nailed it. (laughs) Cool, and I have um, one as well. Oh, this one's going to be tough. Three words. Third word. Trap, the parent trap. yes (laughs) Yes,
0: <laughs> that was such a good
1: round. Oh, I'm so proud.
0: <laughs> Should let we let do we do one more? One.
1: Yeah. If you know this, oh. okay. Let's try. First word. One word. Under. Submerge. Submarine. Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, I was that was so good.
0: Like exactly that. Oh, yeah. okay. Three words. Uh, First word. Mine. My. Third word. My hair Mm -mm. lady, my hair lady? Yes! (laughs) Who knew you could play charades over Zoom? I know, I mean, I actually have now, I'm so excited because, you know, sometimes house party can get a bit dull and there's like nothing to do, or like all these video chats that we're doing with people. So I'm really, really happy that we now have a a new thing to entertain people with.
1: Awesome, I think we did really well. I'm very proud of us. I just want to move now to the last segment, which is the quick fire round. So just ask you something and then you just say, off the top of your head. Um, Morning or evening? Evening. What is a daily ritual that you could not live without? Something in your routine? Social media. Do you have a sort of daily mantra or a life mantra? I know you said that you wake up and say three things that you're grateful for but is there sort of a saying that you live by? So no, I don't
0: have one, but I think the one that probably stands out the most and the one that's probably the theme of my life is like, don't be afraid of failure or fail spectacularly. I don't even know if that's even a real saying, but if you're gonna fail, fail (laughs) hard, fail well, because there's so many lessons in failure. Like there's so many lessons, bigger blessings in failure rather than been just sitting around and waiting.
1: <laughs> and what are you binging at the moment?
0: RuPaul's Drag Race, s- Selling Sunset. Oh. Yeah, those be too shows. I love reality TV. Like the trashier, the better. I love competition shows and also Single Lives, a show called Single Lives. It's part of a cooking show now in lockdown. Is a a production, a new production called Celebrity Mystery Box. And I got to be on an episode with my mom, so that's coming up soon. It should be interesting to watch. It was interesting to make. <laughs> so I'm excited. <laughs>
1: that's so fun. Last one, favorite genre of music? Hip hop, probably.
0: With a small focus on like samba. There's also, I love Ooh. like Latin and Latin music. Oh gosh, I love so much. Oh, no, let me actually start again. 90s hip hop and R&B, specifically 90s. Okay.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking the time out your busy day to have a moment to sit with me and have some tea and for saying all the incredible things about Failing Forward. I know it's very motivational. I loved hearing you speak at Future Females. It got all of us riled up and inspired. We said, we want to fail after hearing you speak. People feel that way after this as
0: well. I, so, I mean, especially women. For me, men are really good at like hyping themselves up and going for things that they're not qualified for. You know, like someone said, Kanye is running for president, mm-hmm. lady apply for any job so for me because women are so concerned with perfection and we're a little bit scared of of failing and looking stupid and all those things i just want us to fail spectacularly and not be afraid anymore because sometimes you're not even gonna fail like you're not even going to fail sometimes sometimes you're going to land on your feet but i think it's so important that i've just been really bold about trying because i have failed a lot and not everybody's been witness to all my failures um but i trust i've failed a lot the only thing is that every single time i've failed i've gotten back up and readjusted myself and thought okay what were the things that went wrong that led me here let me readjust and try again and if it takes four readjustments and four retries then it does but at some point it sticks and it lands and it becomes your dream career your dream relationship your dream opportunity
1: as i said at the end end of the interview with Lisejo I hope that all of you who are watching are excited and ecstatic to go and fail spectacularly, fail more, get more nose because it's gonna redirect you and put you on the path that you need to be on and to get you to where you want to go. I think that she provided a lot of great insight is that you have to be grateful for what you have and what you can put out and to also follow your nose where your passion is leading you to because I can guarantee you that Lesejo is not looking back twice on following that. So fail spectacularly and follow your passion.